you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addison's. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh Uh-oh. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison. And this is not Wednesdays with Will. It's going to be Thursday with Will today. Um, Yep, I'm flying solo today. Um, But man, I have something that I would love to relate to you guys. But before I get to that, I want to go through a few announcements. Uh, You can email us at addisons at AFR.net. Addisons at AFR.net. Also, just a reminder that the Marriage Family Life Conference will be happening July 7th through the 9th. And really, really, really soon, we're going to have some registration information for you guys. But just put that on the calendar. Uh, The Marriage Family Life Conference, July 7th uh, to the 9th, right here in Tupelo, Mississippi. It's going to be at the Bancorp South Arena. And so you're going to want to mark that on your calendar so you can be a part of that. Also, you can follow us on Facebook. And on YouTube, just search Airing the Addisons and you can watch the broadcast live. Also, visit the By Design Facebook page. Just search By Design on Facebook. And also, you can uh, visit our webpage at afa.net slash by design. And if you desire clear and concise teaching on a biblical response to critical race theory, just go to uh, the, the store, the resource center there. And you can pick up a two-part teaching done by Mickey Addison. It's a, it's a great thing to have. I've heard from some people who have uh, this teaching, and they're like, man, it's something that everyone should have in their arsenal. And so we know that critical race theory is a big topic, and it still continues to be a big topic. Um, but uh, what's the biblical response? And Mickey has done a lot of research and has put a lot of time into that, and, and uh, I think what uh, God has given her has been a blessing. So yesterday we had an opportunity to go to the state capitol here in Mississippi and be a part of a rally uh, for uh, vaccine rights. And there was a good amount of people there. Mickey was able to speak and the Lord really blessed it. Um, but our freedoms, man, we, if we don't uh, speak up for our God-given freedoms, they're going to continue to decay. You know, those things are going to continue to erode if we don't speak up concerning the freedoms that, that we have. And so praise God for an opportunity to go out there and to speak concerning freedom. Um, I have a couple of clips that I put on Facebook of, of Miki uh, speaking. And so if you want to check those out, just search us on Facebook, uh, airing the Addisons, and you can see uh, those clips. Today, today, I want to talk a little bit from the thought of whose body is it? This is something I was able to share some of uh, this at our church this past Sunday, but I just feel led of God to to bring it to the radio here. Whose body is it? 
whose body is it? It kind of it's kind of going to go along the same lines of uh, last week what we talked about, but just a a, a bit different, uh, just a little different. Uh, convinced that we as a church will not reach the level that we are supposed to be with God until we get a hold of our problems. And I said this last time uh, in the body of Christ with sexual immorality. I'm convinced that these struggles that are in the church pertaining to sexuality cause the church to be weak, that we as uh, followers of Christ, if we have these things going on in our lives, uh, we can't be as effective as the Lord desires for us to be. So from our actions to our thoughts, we have major issues going on. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, For the flesh sets itself or its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. And you, If you're listening to me, you, you understand that wrestling that goes on, the flesh and the spirit, where, you know, you have a desire to please the Lord. But then at the same time, you have this war going on, you know, with, with, with the sinful nature of the flesh that um, often, if we're not careful, that portion of us, <laughs> the flesh would win. And we will find ourselves not doing the things that we really desire to do from a spiritual standpoint, but submitting to the flesh. Submitting to the flesh. The things we deal with on a daily basis involve um, temptation upon our souls by the way of sexuality. In this culture, it's all around us. It's like that um, that when you go in the movie and, and they have the, the sound system and, they have, and it, before the movie comes on, you know, it says all around you. That's how I feel about sex and immorality. It's like all around you. You know, it, it, it's like surround sound. Everywhere you go, you're confronted with something of a sexual nature. The heartbeat of today's uh, of today from the from the culture is do what you like. Fulfill yourself. And even within the church, there is a softening that has happened in regards to sexual purity and integrity. So. A lot of these things that we talk about, they're not outside of the church. We have these same problems happening within the church. And it's because we have softened, you know, our uh, uh, standard, which is the word of God. And so we look at these things and we're like, ah, oh, that's all right. You know, man, you know, if, if two people love each other, what's, what's the harm in them getting together like that sexually? But that's not what the Bible said. And. A lot of times you won't hear messages preached within the church concerning, you know, sexual immorality. And again, maybe it's because the leadership or the pastor may be embroiled in those same struggles. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the uh, talk we had about pornography. I believe that it don't go addressed because there's a lot of people who are supposed to be addressing it that's embroiled in it. And this is not a judgment thing, but it's just the truth. We have to get to a point where we, we're looking at ourselves at the body of Christ and we're like, man, you know, it's me, oh Lord. <laughs> it's me. 
I'm the reason. I'm the hindrance. So there's a scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Then it says flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, Corinth, which this letter was written to the church in Corinth, it was a wealthy city, but it also was a sexually loose city. So in this letter, Paul is addressing specific questions and situations dealing with the church here. And we see in chapter five, it has been brought to Paul's attention that there is perversion going on that would even make the pagans blush. But it's not being dealt with pro uh, properly. And as a matter of fact, there seems to be some boasting going on. See, Paul was addressing situations head on. Addressing them head on. And you have these things coming to his attention. And he's like, man, where there should be humility and getting these things right, it seems that you guys are boasting. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And let me read a portion of it to you here. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. It said, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. It amazes me. It's kind of funny how he starts this off. It's, he says, actually reported. Like, man, this is like I'm beside myself. It's actually reported that there is immorality among you, people of God, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, and you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. So he said, you have this stuff going on, but instead of dealing with it, you're just letting it go on. And this person has not been removed from your midst. Now, I talked about this before. 
but it's called church discipline where if there are if someone who is persisting in sin willfully and and they're professing to be a Christian and have been confronted but they're saying this I'm doing this this is what I'm going to be doing this is I'm I'm not stopping well there should be some church discipline that happens I've been a part of a service before where two people were brought up because they were fornicating and they were conf- confronted about it and would not stop. And they were put out. Why was the pastor being mean? No, <laughs> the pastor actually was uh, taking care of the whole fellowship because this stuff spreads like cancer. It's sin and sin is to be dealt with in a, in, in a way that God has prescribed. So if there's someone with a high hand doing all this stuff in the midst of the congregation, there, there are some steps that should be taken. And if there is a, just a boldness and in, in, in a willful uh, uh, persistence in this sin, then it has to be dealt with. And that piece has to be cut off. Why? So that they would repent and that they would feel what it's like to be away from the fellowship and that they will repent and want to come back. It's not to be mean. It's not to just, oh, they're kicking people out over there. No. This is supposed to be done out of love. And I'll tell you what, the situation that I was in, when this happened, it brought a soberness over the whole fellowship. It was like, man, this is real. This is real. But as it stands now in many places, you can hide out in your sin. You can sit on the pews. You can go to church Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. And you will never hear anything about the sin that you're in. Or you never will have to confess anything. Or there's not relationships built to where you feel a need to come and say, man, I'm dealing with this. I'm struggling with this. It's not there a lot of times. So you have a place like the church that's full of sin. And that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. But we're going to talk more about this. Whose body is it? Whose body is it? This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will, and this is Thursday with Will. We'll be right back. Something happens I gotta turn it all around Because I know I can't just have my cake And eat it too Cause it's real easy To stay on the fence And still do you And it'd be cool If we could love the Lord And still go do our thing But see it doesn't work like that You gotta be white or black this is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison, and we're talking about whose body is it? Whose body is it? Uh, that was Jonathan McReynolds with No Gray. And look, man, <laughs> we need to understand that the gray areas, 
Look, we need to be about white, black, back to the scriptures. What does the Bible say? Uh, am I saying that there's no, no room for grace? No, I'm not saying that. But, man, we've been so loose with grace that we think it's a license to sin. And, and Paul explains that in Romans. No, it's not. Yes, we have grace. Praise God for grace. But, man, there's so many things that's going on. And when I look at us, the body, I love the body of Christ. I love the church. And when I look at what's going on, the weakness Man, a lot of it is brought on by sin that has been allowed to remain and fester within the body. And so I'm going to continue on with um, with this. Whose body is it? And so I was talking about how in Corinth, it was a wealthy city. It was a sexually loose city. And in this letter, Paul is addressing specific questions and situations dealing with the church here. Now we see in chapter five, and I just read that, how... Paul was bringing out, man, this, what you guys are doing, it's not even like the pagans look at this and they're not tolerating that type of stuff. But it was happening within the church. So I don't, and, and look, I don't think for a minute, I don't look at this and say, oh man, because I, in America, the church here, we have some of that same type of stuff going on. We got so much happening here. So I'm not looking down at this, but I'm like, man, we need to take this as and instruction, that stuff has to be dealt with in our personal lives, but also within the body of Christ. And so these things were happening amongst the people of God. And Paul was addressing them head on. Head on. So consider this. So these findings are based on a survey conducted October 16th um, to the 28th in 2019. Among 3,998 U.S. adults, uh, this includes those who took part as members of Pew Research Center's American Trends uh, Panel, ATP, an online survey panel that uh, is recruited through national uh, random sampling of residential addresses. Okay, So half of Christians say... Casual sex, defined in the survey as sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed romantic relationship, is sometimes or always acceptable. Half of Christians say casual sex is sometimes or always acceptable. Then it goes on to say six in 10 Catholics, 62% take this view, as do 56% of Protestants in the historically black tradition. Then 54% of mainline Protestants and 36 of evangelical Protestants. So if you have those numbers at that level saying that this stuff is all right. But you have the Bible says that we should flee sexual immorality. It tells me that we're not reading the Bible or that this stuff is not being taught in our homes or in our churches. Because where is this type of worldview coming from? Well, it's being taken from the popular culture. It's okay. Whatever makes you feel good. Also, acceptance of homosexuality is rising across the board and across the, uh, spe the spectrum of American Christianity including among members of churches that strongly opposed 
homosexual relationships as sinful, according to an extensive Pew Research Center survey. Amid a changing religious landscape that has seen a declining percentage of Americans who identify as Christian, a majority of U.S. Christians, 54%, now say that homosexuality should be accepted. Wow. Rather than discouraged by society. While this is still considerably low, lower than the shares of re religiously unaffiliated people, 83%, and members of the non-Christian faiths, uh, 76%, who say the same, the Christian figure has increased by 10 percentage points since we had the last study, a similar study. It reflects a growing acceptance of homosexuality among all Americans. Among Christians, this trend is driven partly by younger church members who are generally more accepting of homosexuality than their elder counterparts. For example, roughly half, 51% of evangelical Protestants in the millennial generation born between 1981 and 1996 say homosexuality should be accepted by society, compared with a third of evangelical baby boomers and a fifth of evangelicals in the silent generation, uh, generational differences with similar patterns also are evident among Catholics, mainline Protestants, and members of the historically black Protestant tradition. At the same time, however, a larger segment of older adults in some Christian traditions have become accepting of homosexuality in recent years, helping to drive the broader trend. For instance, 32% of evangelical Protestant baby boomers now say homosexuality should be accepted. That's up from 25%. So we have a problem here across the board, but we see that a lot of the mindset is being carried on to our young people, that homosexuality should be accepted. So if the Bible says that homosexuality is sin, but we have our young people and some older people now saying that it should be accepted, What's happening? Where's the biblical worldview? What are we doing in our homes, in our churches? Are we discipling our children? I would say no. And it's evident in what they believe. Now I know, look, you can do all that, 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 that you can, and, but your child is going to have to make a decision on their own, you know, but at the same time, are we setting them up to win? Or are we checked out? We have to ask ourselves these questions. You know, I'm not good with bunches and bunches of our children going away and falling and being swallowed up by this culture. I'm not good with that. I was speaking today, had a meeting with a youth pastor. And, you know, he, he was sharing that, man, it's, it's rough because a lot of times the parents are not involved. Like there's some parents, he said, I, I have never met and I'm the youth pastor. There's a mindset of just sending the kids to the youth group. They're going to take care of all of that. I don't have to worry about that. I just need to get them to their ball games. You know, I got to get them to their activities. The discipleship stuff, that's supposed to be handled by the youth pastor. No. We as the parents have been given this command. 
this mandate. Deuteronomy 6, that applies to the parent, that we are supposed to be discipling our children. We, we're not supposed to be giving that job over to the church or to the youth group. Now, the youth group and the youth pastor and the youth leaders should be a supplement to what we are already doing in our homes. They're not supposed to be the ones that's leading the way. And so we're putting pressure on youth pastors to do miracles that man is being canceled out day by day as the children are, you know, looking at social media and are with their peers and what they're getting there and through television. We want youth pastors, youth pastors to fix all of that. We have to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant. So we're going to look back again. We're going to look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 9 through 10. The Bible says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's simple and plain. And when I look at this list, I'm looking at, I'm like, it says fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. Then it says, no, the effeminate, (laughs) nor homosexuals. Two different categories. What's that? Then it says covetous, (laughs) or drunkards, revilers, or swindlers. Because some of the some sometimes you get this thing of, oh, you guys are, uh, you know, elevating certain sins above others and saying that these sins are. No, the Bible calls all of this stuff sin and even some things that's not listed here and says that these folks will not inherit the kingdom of God. So for the Christian, the follower of Christ, sexual immorality is unacceptable. I know this is not a popular teaching for today. But the Bible says that it's unacceptable that if you are living life as a fornicator, as an adulterer, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I feel at this point, maybe I have to break down some of what this stuff means. Okay, so fornicators, those who have sex outside of marriage. Now, that study that I read earlier that said that half feel like casual sex is all right. Well, the Bible would say, no, it's not. That's called fornication. So, you know, I feel like, man, we don't need to be over people's heads when we talk about this stuff. It should be eye to eye, right, right online. This is what it is. This is what it is. Idolaters. The one who has an immoderate attachment or devotion to something. Hmm. We all need to search our hearts. There can be idols that arise. It could be sports. It could be going to the gym. It could be our car. It can be all sorts of things. Ask the Lord. Check our hearts. Help us, Lord, to see 
those blind spots, maybe that we have those, that affinity for something that's not you. Help us to see it. Adulterers. Those who have sex with someone, not their spouse. They're married, but they're having sex with people who are not their spouse. Effeminate. A man having or showing characteristics regarded as typical of a woman. Unmanly. Homosexuals, a person who is sexually attracted to, the, to people of their own sex. A thief, a person who takes things that don't belong to them. I know this is pretty basic. Y'all listening to me like, man, come on, Will. We know this stuff. But I'm telling you, I'm not taking any chances anymore. It has to be clear because we want to give them this high and lofty stuff. And, and the stuff that's understandable, they're not getting Covetous, having or showing a great desire uh, to possess something not uh, belonging to someone else. So you want something, it's, it's for somebody else, but you have this strong desire. You want this, you want this possession. That's a heart issue. A drunkard, a person who is habitually drunk. Reviler, someone who speaks abusively to another person or thing. Swindler, one who makes a practice of defrauding others by imposition or deliberate um, cheating. Look, the Bible says that these folks will not inherit the kingdom. The Bible says, not will, the Bible says. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I would not be dominated by anything. So this all things are lawful. You know, many theologians say and believe that this was a saying that the Corinthian church had begun to adopt because of the teaching of grace. They will say, oh, man, all things are lawful. So this was a saying in the Corinthian church. That's why in some of the versions you see it in quotes. So the Corinthian church would say that they believe because of their safe salvation by grace through faith, that their freedom from the law, uh, that there were things that they could indulge in outside of the standard of God. All things are lawful. But Paul, he brings correction to this. Paul brings a correction to their statement by saying, but all things are not helpful. And that I will not be mastered or dominated or brought under the power of anything. Yes, we have grace, but it's not grace to sin. It's not grace to just live out our desires. We have grace, but don't get it twisted. You're not supposed to be mastered by anything. Are you mastered by something? Is that something that has a hold on your life right now? He's saying here, as he said in the book of Romans, that grace does not give us a license to sin. Yes. All things are lawful. There's grace. But man, I'm not going to be mastered by anything. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. Thursday with Will. Whose body is it? We'll be back right after this.
first name read, last name versus. Don't forget to read between the lines in these verses. Don't forget to see beyond the lies in they verses. They're all liars. That's on purpose. That's on everything with straight faces. Devils, but they greet you on the first name basis. Cover all bases. Stay away from fakeness. Watch what they say. Never listen to a snake hiss. Word to the wise. Look the wise. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will, and that right there is Read B Verses with the Read Between the Lines Freestyle. Today we're talking about uh, whose body is it? Whose body is it? And I'm going to move a little quicker because uh, I doubt if I get through all of this that I have here. But it goes on to say, uh, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So there's quotations here. And by the quotations here, again, it seems to be a saying of the Corinthian church, uh, most likely discounting the significance of the Jewish food laws. Well, Paul addresses the food issue uh, more in chapter eight. So he'll, he'll, he'll address that. But Paul is using their quotes about things being lawful and food being for the stomach and the stomach for food. Uh, He's setting up for his main point. There's going to be a shift to how in this uh, culture, they as the people of God should live concerning sexuality. So in this Corinthian culture, the Corinthians were pretty wild. And so Paul is bringing it to them like, man, in the kingdom of God, we act differently. We are countercultural. So I know your culture, you know, is loose in this area and y'all can do this and that. But man, when you've come into relationship with with God, those things change. So who is the body for? The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So this is a profound statement worth meditating on, especially when you live in a majority culture like we live in, in America, and how Corinth was. This statement by Paul is a definitive statement, one that is uh, black and white. Our bodies are for who? They're for the Lord. Our bodies are for the Lord. But our culture says, the, the popular majority culture around us, they say you have personal autonomy. It's your body. Do what you want. You know, do what you feel with what's yours. Sexually, be what you want. Be what you want to be because you are yours. Because you are yours. See, a, a lot of stuff I'm talking about today, you know, and I, I, I kind of hit up, up on this at church, that in Canada, there's been laws that are be, have been passed that will make this kind of speech right here, what we're talking about, illegal saying that, you know, homosexuality is a sin. And believe me, that kind of uh, 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 action, I believe, will be taken over here someday. (laughs) But are we still going to preach the word? We have to. We have to. And so our culture says, you do what you want to do. Do you. And to, to to, to this, God says, as my followers bought with my blood, your bodies are mine. So Greek culture taught, they taught dualism. 
right? That is that the human body divides into body, that's seen as evil, so body is seen as evil, and the soul seen as good. So this would mean that our bodies would be seen as holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy evil. But this is not how God sees it. Think about our bodies. God places value on your body because we are intricately woven together in our mother's womb. He placed value upon our bodies. We, we are a, a, a tripart being. We have uh, we are spirit, soul, and body. The soulish realm, which consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions, sadly, this is usually the, the realm that dictates all of our actions, our soulish realm. That's not how it's supposed to be. It should be the spirit that has uh, uh, taken over and ab- is able to dictate to our soul and our body what we're going to do. But a lot of times we're living and dwelling in a soulish realm or in that fleshly realm. But God has a place for our bodies. We are woven together in our mother's womb. But bigger than this, through regeneration, our bodies are joined to Christ. The Bible says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. So our very bodies are joined to Christ. All of us. All of us. And I was talking to Miki about this, and I was thinking about marriage, how uh, uh, Paul talks about how for a married couple, the husband's body is not his own, but it's his wife's. And the wife's body is for her husband. Man, we, we have the same thing going on. It's the picture of Christ in the church. Because Paul is saying right here through the spirit that our bodies are not our own, but they're for Christ. So you get the picture of Christ and the church and the picture of man, our bodies are his. But even in marriage, that's displayed because in a marital relationship, our bodies are for our spouses. Another picture of Christ in the church. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. So prostitute here. Uh, in Greek, is porne, P-O-R-N-E, a prostitute, a harlot, idolatrous community, joining with someone that is not your spouse. Again, you might say, I understand all of this. Well, I'm just going to have to break it down because I'm not going to take that chance. Our bodies are not to be joined to this. God even has a higher purpose for our bodies, not just our souls and our spirit, for we are three-part beings. So there's value to all of it. So think of, think for a moment of our bodies being members, our, our bodies being members of Christ. We would be more mindful of what? What we eat. We wouldn't be gluttonous. What we ingest, what we take in, smoking, alcohol, abuse, all that stuff. What we do sexually with our bodies, we would, we would take inventory on that not profaning our bodies being sexually pure because our bodies are are joined with Christ. So why would we do that? Make it unholy if we are joined with Christ. Or do you not know 
that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Paul here, he is alluding to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus also alluded to this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. When we look at these scriptures, we usually uh, use these verses for weddings, right? To describe what happens in the marital union. But consider that in 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking in the context of avoiding sexual immorality. So the same law applies. The same law applies here, that if you are joining yourself to someone and it's not in the context of marriage, you are still becoming one flesh with that person. The spiritual connection is still being made, be it unauthorized. So in a marital union, you become one flesh. It's authorized by God. But when you're having sex with this person and that person, you're becoming one flesh with those people. It's unauthorized, but you're still making that connection. And it's a spiritual thing. If you ever wonder why there's so much depression and oppression and, and things going on in people's lives, you need to survey the sex life. Or they, have they been giving themselves to this person and that person? There's baggage. There are connections and ties that happen because of those connections. It's spiritual. And so when we're looking at this stuff and we're saying, man, man, suicide is rising and, and, and depression and all this kind of stuff. And at the same time, you have loose living. You can make the correlation that there's spiritual things going on. Because people are out here breaking God's laws. And this is happening in the church. This is not away from the body of Christ. This is happening within the body of Christ. These are things to be considered. These are things to be considered. What spiritual baggage is being carried around from broken relationships? Why are there so many abortions happening among Christian women? The joining together through sexual intimacy outside the standard of God makes the bride of Christ weak and ineffective. Sexual union is neither casual nor fleeting. In the sexual union, the uniting of the flesh brings about a unity of personhood. You become one flesh, whether that's in marriage, done the right way, or outside of marriage, done the wrong way, that one flesh is unified. You become one flesh. Those two become one. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So Paul here notes that we are joined to the Lord. Uh, we become one spirit with him. Not only our bodies, but one spirit. Our spirit are one with Christ. How then can we act in profane, unholy ways as to join ourselves to unholy sexual relationships? Then the Bible says, flee 
from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. When I see the word flee sexual immorality, it means to shun or escape. So he's saying shun, escape sexual immorality. I get the picture of Joseph in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife is coming at him. She's like, lay with me. And Joseph's like, no, no. Potiphar has given me everything in his house except for you. I cannot do this. And she keep pressing him and pressing him. And she's like, lay with me. And he's like, no. And then she has him cornered. One day she has him. And he ran. He ran so hard and fast that he left his garment. He ran. That's fleeing. Is that our attitude when it comes to sexual immorality? Do we have a, a, a mindset that say, man, I'm running away from this. Oh, are we running to it? Look, and I'm saying this. I'm not exempt. Are we running away from this stuff? Are we running to it? We are supposed to shun and escape sexual immorality. It says a person commit uh, uh, the sin a person commits outside the body, um, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Every other sin is outside the body, but this has a special little bit to it. It hurts your own body. You sin against your own body when it's sexual immorality. Sexual sins bring destruction to our own bodies. First Corinthians chapter ten verse eight. First Corinthians chapter ten verse seven and eight. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Listen to this. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one single day. That story, if you want to read it, I was planning to read that whole account, but I don't have time. Is in uh, Numbers chapter 25, verse 1 through 9. Sexual sins contaminate the body because as believers, we are joined to Christ with our bodies. Hmm. When we commit those profane acts as being joined with Christ, we are hurting our own selves. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. So whose body is it? The body is for the Lord. If you're in Christ, we're connected to him. In that same way, we get the picture of marriage that our body belongs to our spouse, but it points back to Christ and the church. So when we have these things going on, y'all, we got to understand that this is serious business. And the reason why the enemy is trying to pervert marriage and family and all of that, because he knows that when you indulge in that stuff, you're going to be right where he is in hell. You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Be encouraged. Draw close to God. Seek him. If you're weak, he's strong. Let's lean and depend on him. For every aspect of our lives. This is Aaron Addison's here, American Family Radio. 
Until tomorrow, we'll be back. Lord willing, God bless.